And welcome to another edition of Racing Through Time, the NASCAR podcast covering the 1986 season. And as always, Ricky Wittenberg here with you, along with Andy Waddell. And Andy, how are you doing this week? Uh, this week is a little bit different. It's, it's kind of like my sex life. I was excited to start with, and then it kind of got like a little boring. And then toward the end, I was excited again. Well, I mean, it, it uh, the race definitely took many twists and turns. I don't know if I want to compare it to your sex life because I'm not uh, I'm not a part of that, thankfully. <laughs> but anyway, that would uh, be hard to explain. But onward. Hard being the operative word. Uh, we are live, uh, re- live recorded. Obviously, the show will drop on Monday. We record over the weekend, so a lot of stuff going on here tonight. Um, this uh, we we're gonna. I'll, Go ahead and start off saying that, you know, with the newspaper articles, we went through the newspaper articles again this week, and I, I found, I really didn't find anything that was clip-worthy from uh, the last race going into this race, Andy. It, we did have a couple of articles that we'll probably throw out there on the Facebook group just, uh, just to have, but really, I think the most entertaining thing was uh, basically the article that talked about the church services at the track, because... Um, that's been going on for many years, and uh, it was uh, it, probably a lot of people didn't know back then that they they had that kind of thing. And I, I thought it was an interesting read, especially when the guy had to go out of his way to make a point that the the, the lady that sang was highly attractive. Yeah, it, it did seem a little bit inappropriate, like a lightning strike might happen at any moment. Yeah. I, I kind of felt dirty even reading it, but then I remembered who I am. So, uh, yes. So if you found this show, obviously you know how to find us, but just in case, uh, you're probably listening to us through Apple iTunes, Google Play Music, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you can find the show. Uh, Please join our growing Facebook group at Racing Through Time. Just uh, send us a request and we will add you. Uh, We're on several of the NASCAR boards. We post the new shows, but... um, try to be interactive in the group and had a few new members and thanks uh, to them for their contributions this week at uh, I've actually got some extra notes thanks to uh, one of our new members so definitely appreciate all that uh, you can follow me on pit road on pit road no on twitter at opr word and you can follow on pit road who i write for at on pit road so, Andy, without the newspaper articles this week, um, I guess we'll we'll jump right into the race and we'll do the best we can with it. We do have a lot of clips, which uh, will probably help us get through this race. Um, I don't, you know, don't want to bury the lead straight away, but um, this this race was interesting. I don't remember it from back in the day, so watching it, um, didn't know what to expect. It was it was cool because it was Darlington. And there was a lot of different things that happened, but this was just one race. It just, it was, it was strange trying to get through it. I didn't, it didn't click with me like it probably should have. I don't know. It was weird that you could watch it in segments and you was all right. But if you tried to watch the whole thing, it just went on forever. It seemed like. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll unwrap it as we go through the race. It could have just had to do with with how much Earnhardt dominated the event and, but, but there was some moments in the race that, that probably, um, definitely contributed to, uh, 
to the, to that kind of race. So we start out and we'll uh, let, cause it's another ESPN broadcast and what better way to start an ESPN broadcast than letting Bob Jenkins set the stage. Do people cheer as much for cars as they do for drivers? Detroit brought their specially built and shaped cars to Darlington in 69, just as they have today, and the track was earning its reputation as too tough to tame. The late Leroy won twice at Darlington in 69. Shapes have come full circle since then, although hairstyles have changed, and today's participant is a little more daring. The class of 85 valedictorian was Daryl Waltrip, Winston Cup champion. Although Bill Elliott was salutatorian with 11 wins last year, including two here at Darlington. No one has come to the head of the 1986 class. Jeff Bodine took his Chevy to Daytona's victory lane. Then at Richmond, Ford driver Kyle Petty drove through a crash late in the race to capture his first win. At Rockingham, Terry Labonte got GM back in the winning track when he outclassed the field in his Oldsmobile. And fans began to wonder if all four GM makes could win a race. At Atlanta, Morgan Shepard surprised many by raising his hand and saying yes to the question, can a Buick win? And then, just last week, Rusty Wallace ran away and hid from the field in his Pontiac, making it five different winners in as many makes of cars for the class of 1986. Nobody paints a picture quite like Bob Jenkins. It definitely gets you fired up for the race and starts out with the song Summer of 69, which uh, during watching this race, that's not a bad idea. Uh, talks about five different yeah. winners in the, the five different races, though, basically, Andy. Pretty much. I mean, and after the little ABC debacle a couple of weeks ago, anytime ESPN takes over is a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and we'll, we'll probably get into it a little bit during this race, but it was interesting having Jack Root in the booth with Jenkins. Um, and he, he done a good job, but man, he definitely didn't hold back. He pretty much said whatever it was on his mind. You know, I have to take a different route with that. I, I wasn't, it seemed like he was doing an awful lot of Monday morning quarterbacking. I, I, I was a little bit turned off on that part, but I mean, he, he definitely was telling them what he thought. Maybe it's just kind of refreshing in this day and age where the guys have to be so daggone careful that you had somebody like Jack Root just throwing it out there, just whatever he thought was was said, and at least he had a coherent uh, coherent sentence as compared to poor Lampley and uh, and Sam Posey oh, for Atlanta. Oh yeah, please don't take me wrong. By no means is this anywhere near that. I just I, it was just a little bit off putting to me. Just you know, just a little bit. Yeah. And five winners in five races so far, and all five being a different manufacturer. Can you imagine that? I mean, my God. Uh, NASCAR, that's a NASCAR's dream scenario right there. If you want to talk about parity, they say, well, you've had a, every different make and model has won in 1986. What can you complain about? Yeah, but it, that's one of them. I'm not a Ford man, but if I was a Ford people, I was like, it was Kyle Petty because the other six wrecked, you know. Yeah. But that'd yeah. be my only complaint if I was them. Right, and we do know that the Fords, we, they did not qualify well. Red's, Ricky Red's going to start in eighth, but the next Fords are 21st through 23rd here at uh, Darlington. So there is still a, a, an issue with the Fords in general. Uh, the General Motors have, got, have figured out what the Fords was doing in 1985, and they've, they've caught on. Oh, definitely. They they caught on, advanced, and, you know, if it was just one race, like they just did at Daytona, you might think they were sandbagging or something, but 
it, this deep into the season, they're still having trouble. Something's definitely off. Yep. So we have teammates on the front row again this race. Jeff Bodine and Tim Richmond from uh, the Hendrick Stables on the front row. And Jeff Bodine, he's uh, he's actually driving the same car at Darlington that he drove at Bristol. Could you maybe, – maybe some of the smaller teams do that now, but it's such a totally different track just to think that you can drive the same car at Darlington – that you do at Bristol is pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Cause anymore, I mean, they barely bring the same car to Talladega and Daytona, let alone, you know, something like this. Oh yeah. And, uh, w- one of the things that gets me right in the feels, I'll just tell you straight out the balloon release in the pre-race ceremony. I know that anymore we're all uh, save the environment and save the world. So we can't have, millions of balloons floating through the air, but my God, it, it was something that I always looked forward to in the older races to see all those balloons go up in there. You knew the race was about to start. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's down in South Carolina. Who cares about the wildlife there? (laughs) Yeah. Kidding. Kidding. Uh, we get off to a roaring start in the race. Jeff Bodine, he just, turns dead left basically he bottles up the entire inside uh rows he doesn't get started he hits the low groove uh ron bouchard and davy allison have crashed because of this basically is a big chain reaction and the yellow's already out and talk about bad bad luck you on the pole have a blistering pace and as soon as you hit the gas you're done yeah, the way he done that, I, I was wondering, did he miss a gear or did he miss a shift or something? Because it, it nothing happened. It was like, I don't know. It's like he cut the car off, it looked like. Yeah. Um, so we get Jeff Bodine. He's in the pits, and the engine is not running. Uh, we're going to get Benny Parsons giving us some race analysis from inside the car. He was one of those unfortunate people that was on the inside line and lost a lot of spots. Uh, due to Bodine's misfortune there. Now, one thing I'll say that's that's going to be an interesting talking point is Andy apparently falls down <laughs> in the background. I'm good. He's safe. I've, I've had a little bit of a cold, so I've been on the moonshine today. Sorry, boys. He's he's safe. One thing, Andy, though, that uh, is interesting to me that, that I think is it's definitely nothing that we are used to now. And when you go back and watch races from this era, I think it's really interesting because you don't think about it. When we were at Bristol, Benny Parsons was in the booth. We didn't have Buddy Baker in the field. We didn't have Kel Yarborough in the field. We had, those are cars that can win a race and they pick and choose and race only certain races. And it's just really weird that the quality of the cars varies from race to race so much in 1986 here at Darlington, we've got three or four more heavy hitters that actually have good cars that could compete than we had at Bristol. Oh, definitely. And I don't know. It's, it's just weird when you see some of the legends back and they can still turn the car and you're like, why aren't you running a full season? Why are you just running a few? Cause they still had the talent. I, I don't know. It's just a different time, I guess. Yeah, I, I think they looked at it from the money perspective. Um, by, even then, I don't know exactly what the points payout was. Well, I can look it up. But it made more sense financially for a lot of these guys to pick and choose the races they ran 
and base their races on purse. It's almost like um, dirt late model drivers now. We we have Lucas Series and World of Outlaws, but you have a bunch of independent late model drivers that are good that will pick and choose what race they go to every weekend, depending on how far it is from home and what the purse is. And that's almost kind of like it was here in 1986 in NASCAR to a degree. Yeah, because I think it might have been later on the race, or heck, I might have imagined it. Somebody can tell me, but I think DW was telling that the points championship was going to be five hundred thousand for the year, and you figure a lot of these races were paying out fifty thousand to win. So, you know, that, that makes a good point. That's probably why they was doing it. Because why go the whole season and spend a bunch of money when you can do five or ten races and make a bunch of money yeah and it wasn't like it is now i mean i think that if, if you had somebody that tried that now uh i mean we don't have full fields so you do see sometimes a bigger team will richard childress will put in a different a, a third car every once in a while or somebody will have an extra car um but that wouldn't that model wouldn't work now because you pretty much have to be at the track week to week with the things the way they change constantly to try to keep up with it uh back then you could build cars and laser focus on a race and try to prepare for that race for a month or three weeks or whatever and and um you didn't get behind everybody else yeah i mean like like during this race we'll see later on you would never see anybody nowadays go to the body style from two years ago to try and get an advantage because everything keeps advancing oh yeah and kel yarborough does that he he uses a different nose on his car in this race, just trying to uh, get some better arrow for his Ford because it's not running well, and I, I think we talk about that later. Um, anyway, we, we get this bad start of the race, and uh, Bodine drops out, and we have the early crash. Uh, we get the restart, and J- Dale Earnhardt and Joe Rutman both get around Tim Richmond a couple of laps into the restart, and Andy Earnhardt was sideways when he passed he wanted it yes. yeah it wasn't it wasn't like he got a little loose and it was a bobble he was sideways when he passed tim richmond for the lead yeah i saw that and like i said a lot of these races i'm seeing for the first time in 30 years or better and i was like well he's at oh no there he is he's back okay good man good man and uh we get we take a commercial break we come back jeff bodine has retired to the garage area uh, Dale Earnhardt's about a second ahead of uh, of Joe Rutman, and we've got Buddy Baker's and Benny Buddy Baker Buddy Baker and Benny Parsons having a pretty good run for seventh, and uh, then we get an interview. Uh, Dick Bergeron is with Jeff Bodine. Richmond's still out there. Let's hope he has a good day. 
That's Jeff Bodine. He's sat on the pole. He is out of it already. First car to drop out. Andy, I don't know if anybody can be more jovial and positive than Jeff Bodine. I honestly think you can look at certain people and tell, I mean, I know he's a competitor and there's a lot of these guys back then that was competitors, but to have such a good outlook, he blows up the, he's on the pole from the pole and he's not throwing shit and he's not mad. He acts like you know, he's, I mean, I'm sure he's disappointed, but you can tell certain people are just good people by the way they react to situations and Bodine don't blame anybody. He's upset, but he's going to move on. He's smiling and ready to go to the next race. Yeah. It's, I mean, you can tell he, he thinks he's blessed just to be able to do what he does for a living. And, you know, it's just a minor setback, and he'll be back next week, I'm sure. Yep. So we have Tim Richmond falling back a little bit. Uh, he's fell to sixth with Buddy Baker and Benny Parsons get by him. Then, uh, no, the, he's falling back to sixth, and Buddy Baker and Benny Parsons have gotten to him. And uh, Richmond is pretty much holding up a line of seven or eight cars. And we get another great in-car camera. You can see how sideways these, I know we talk about this every week, but these in-car cameras really show you how much they were fighting it, fighting the wheel. The cars are so unstable. And sometimes in these uh, wide shots, you don't really see them moving around as much as it seems. But once you're in the in-car camera and you're stuck to a guy for a couple of laps and they actually take the time to let the in-car camera show you a couple of laps of racing where it's not a five second cut to somebody and then right back to the race, you get to see the guy in front of him just sliding around and trying not to hit the wall. Oh yeah. And you, you can watch the steering wheel. I mean, they're taking this sucker from like nine o'clock back to two o'clock, back to nine o'clock, back to 12 o'clock, back to nine o'clock. It's, it's crazy. And without power steering, you know, when they got done, they their arms probably just fell to the side and they was done for a week. Oh man. I can only imagine. So, and you can hear the car. You can also hear the cars, uh, how, how they're playing with the throttle, just trying to get the power down. And at Darlington on that gritty asphalt, that's beat up by all the sand from the beach and those big cars trying to slide them around Darlington. You can just imagine how hard it is to try to put the power down at Darlington. And it's really cool to listen to them feather that throttle. Oh, yeah, that was one of the things that caught me off guard was watching when the first few laps they went around. I thought they had had the stay dryer or something on the track, and then I realized, no, that's the sand that's blew in on there. Oh, yeah, the Darlington sand is no joke, and that's what gets the track so abrasive. Um, the 88 of Baker is really trying to get uh, by Tim Richmond. He's right on his bumper. We're 25 laps into the race. We go to commercial. Earnhardt, Rutman. Red Waltrip and uh, Bobby Allison are the top five. We come back and we have Baker and Parsons finally getting by the 25 and, and Jack Root here, Andy, here you can take him to task a little. He's already started talking some crap about Harry Hyde in the setup of the 25. He said, you know, everybody sets it up to be tight and they've set it up to be loose and um, he's, uh, he's taking Harry Hyde to task. And after, after the Atlanta race, I don't know if anybody should ever try to take Harry Hyde to task. No, cause he's liable to wear the hide off of him. What would happen if he ever got a hold of him? But I was wondering when he was talking about that, uh, the way things go and Richmond and him, when they first got together, I just wonder if it wasn't Tim's idea to set it up loose. If he wanted it loose and Harry Hyde's like, well, okay, I'm going to show you. 
I'm going to set it up the way you want it, and then you'll learn. Yeah, it like we've talked about, it takes Richmond and, and the team a while to get all the kinks worked out here early in 86, and it, it could just be a miscommunication between the driver and the crew chief. It's like, it, I don't know. If you want it to be loose at Darlington, we'll do that, but you may not like the result, and um, that's where we're at. So we have that, and we go to clip number three. Uh, Bobby Allison has some problems with his windshield. Yeah, I, yeah, I sure can, Bob. That's not a possible crack. It's a real-life crack. <laughs> but it happened early in the race. The people, the piece of debris came back and took a chunk out of it. The cruisers are really not worried about it because the crack isn't propagating. Now, you can run out here with a cracked windshield, and that's just what Bobby Allison intends to do. At the same time, though, in yesterday's Grand National race, uh, there's a tremendous amount of air that comes back onto the windshield and could very possibly make that crack larger as the afternoon wears on. Well, there was a little bit of a difference between Allison's crack and Houston's crack. Remember when we reported it, Houston's crack was actually a hole. A piece penetrated the windshield, and with that hole, we had the problem that it began to, as, as he said, penetrate and propagate all over the windshield. With Bobby, as long as they don't get a minor hole in it, it'll cause the air to suck inside the cockpit. He should be able to go the distance without any problem. Andy, I know we're probably prepubescent teenage boys at some at times, but I swear to God, this has got to be some sort of a joke. Proper, they talk about the whole the difference between Allison's crack and Houston's crack, and then Houston's crack was a hole, and then we have a propagation all over the windshield. I don't know if that's legal. Well, that's how they make the door windows by letting them propagate like that. <laughs> that's how they multiply. God, I, I don't know. It's like they wanted to use a big word and then just it, it made it dirty. All of a sudden, sometimes have you ever noticed when you try to use big words, it makes things way worse than if you just say it. it, it the windshield's cracked. <laughs> Can we not just and, say the windshield's the cracked? Big, <laughs> if the big words don't make it dirty here, I will come in like the Kool-Aid man. Oh, yeah. We um we're in a long green flag run. We the running order Boy, is are we ever <laughs> we are the running order. Dale Earnhardt, Joe Rutman, Ricky Red, and then we do get Bobby Hillen finally spinning in the middle of turn three and four, and the caution is out. And here comes people into the pits. Uh, one of these bizarre yellows. I don't know when. I just know that there's people pitting. The pace car is is meandering out onto the track at some point during this yellow. We uh, we have Buddy Baker in the pits. Oh God! He points at his windshield, and the crew guys just look at him like, "Screw that! We're not. We don't have time for your crap. We're not cleaning your windshield. You don't have to see. Get the hell back out." Oh yeah. I- I don't know. It's just weird because he's pointing at it like, what you do something about this? And they're like, nah, mate, go on. Yeah, uh, this is before, obviously, way before we had the tear-off windshields where you could just tear the tear, tear off and have a whole new windscreen. You know, they had to use the water and the, the long wand and the squeegee and wipe it off. And he's pointing at the windshield because it's got all kinds of dirt and mud, uh, dirt and sand and God knows oil, everything on it. And they just look at him like, nope, we ain't got time. Just do the best you can. Oh, yeah. That was another thing that I've noticed all year long, especially here, though, with the way the sun was hitting the windshield. Those things were dirtier than crap, and they'd wipe them off, and they'd be good for about five laps, and then they'd be right back to where they started. I mean, yeah, that could be part of it. It's They're going to get, it's like, what what difference does it make? It's going to get dirty again in a couple of laps anyway. Uh, We have... 
Bobby Hillen arguing with the track officials. I'm not sure why. I think they probably wanted him to get in the ambulance and he just wanted to walk. I, I think that's why he was mad. I'm not really sure. Uh, we'll Jack, go with that. Yeah. Jack, okay, we don't ever find out. It's not like he's important enough to talk to or anything. Jack Root explains the Ford situation and, and some of the rules issues um, that they faced. And th- this is where we find out that Kel Yarborough is using a 1985 nose instead of the 1986 nose. Andy, what do you think of that? Honestly, just that they, that they're in such a predicament that they're using a older technology, just trying to get a better run out of it. Yeah. I think that's one of those uh, half a one or half a dozen, one six of the other, because you're too loose, but you've got, you're able to put something on the nose to make it stick better, but you're already too loose to start with. So you need the front end to slide a little bit. So you put the old nose <laughs> on it. Now you're going to be slower. I, I think they were just in a no win situation right yeah, here. The four and me and you, neither one were forward people. So it's not like no. <laughs> uh, we're trying to fly the flag for forward. But when you look at it, they were, uh, they, I know the rest of the Ford teams can blame Bill Elliott for this. It's just, he had figured it out in 1985 and done so good with it that the other teams, Fords had to suffer in 1986 for Bill Elliott's 1985 uh, success. Yeah, that's pretty well exactly what happened. So, uh, 55 laps down on the restart, Dale Earnhardt still out front, Ricky Rudd in second. We have Elliott, who is a lap down, 55 laps into the race, a lap down. This is the guy that won the Winston Million at Darlington the previous September, a lap down, 55 laps into the race. Yeah, and it wasn't because he wrecked or, you know, got in, the, in a bad situation or anything. He, he was just that much slower. Right. Uh, good battle in the pack. Morgan Shepard, um, Tim Richmond, Terry Labonte, Tommy Ellis, Rick Wilson, all they're around 10th, 11th position, having a good race together. A lot more green flag racing. Field really spreads out. Uh, the nine car of Elliott's running a lot better. He's he's trying to f- actually uh, stay with Ricky Rudd and uh, pass him to to get back up towards Earnhardt. And we have Rudd holding up uh, Elliott, Gant, and um, and Joe Rutman. And Harry Gant almost crashes trying to get by Elliott, and uh, him and Rutman both drop back. That was uh, a big moment for Gant. He was it was a good save. Oh Lord, yeah. He his car spun around so far that he was looking at his own spoiler. Pretty much. And uh we have a lot of lap traffic. Uh that's one thing. I, nothing against the back markers, because they had every right to be there and and we had people miss the race. It's not like they were just out there. But Earnhardt's car is so much faster than some of these back what the back markers were. They, they, they're almost like rolling roadblocks. You, the, it, they're 10 or 15 miles an hour slower than uh, the leaders. And at Darlington, when it's a hard track to pass on anyway, when you catch those guys in the wrong place, it can be trouble. Yeah, and I think that's what giving him I mean, don't get me wrong, Earnhardt was the class of the field today or this day, but he would hit them at just the right time. He could get around them, and by the time the rest of the pack got to them, they're all bottled up where they've been trying to get around the previous lap cars. That it, it, There was no weight, and there was nowhere to pass. Right. And um, during this run here, uh, there's the Bill Elliott and Red are still right together, 
and uh, Harry Gant, he got his breath back, and him and Rutman closed back in on those two. And uh, while all that's going on, we get a interview um, with Neil Bonnet discussing the Bristol wreck. Well, Neil, you had your bell rung pretty good last week at Bristol. Is everything okay? Well, I spent Monday and Tuesday trying to recoup. I, I've had a lot of wrecks, a lot of very different racetracks, 200 miles an hour and everything. But I don't know why that particular wreck last week hurt me more physically than any wreck I ever had. But uh, on about Wednesday, I got feeling better. Thursday, I felt a little better. So I'm going to be in good shape for the race. That's Neil Bonnet, and right now he's in eighth position. And there we hear from Neil Bonnet and Andy. You know, he says that wreck hurt him worse than any wreck he'd ever been in. And Monday and Tuesday, he was still trying to recover, and he felt a little better. This is way before we knew what we know today about concussions, but I can almost guarantee you the man had a concussion. Oh, definitely. I mean, he, he describes the the perfect symptoms of it. I mean, for two days, he was sick. He couldn't hardly do nothing, didn't feel like even getting out of bed. But, you know, by the end of the week, he's ready to go back racing. That's it. There's no doubt in my mind that's what happened. Oh, yeah. It, it, he's, um, I mean, you and you could tell at Bristol when he got out of the car, he, he was almost knocked out. And then, heck, they didn't, nobody came and he had to walk across the track and he was out on his feet. So, um, definitely looks like probably he had a concussion there. We, uh, we go to commercial break with uh, Dale Earnhardt way out in front. Uh, Ricky Rudd, Harry Gant, Joe Rutman, and Daryl Waltrip. We uh, come back from commercial, and we have Neil Bonnet passing Buddy Baker for position, Harry Gant, and Joe Rutman finally around Bill Elliott, and now they're back to Ricky Rudd's bumper. And a couple of laps later, we have Harry Gant going by Rudd, and, and Rudd throws the block on Rutman trying to hold him off, but a couple of laps later, we have Rutman getting by Rudd. Uh, Dale Earnhardt almost six seconds out front, uh, during this time. And then we, we get to see Ron Bouchard's gas man, Jesse, Andy, um, I wouldn't want to mess with Jesse. I don't know much about the man, but, uh, that is somebody I would not want to uh, tussle with. That is a massive human being. I mean, anybody that chocolate Myers could hide behind and still have room to have a girl on each arm. That, that was a huge human being. He was. He looks like Kenny Rogers if he gains 400 pounds, but that is not an insult to Jesse. He doesn't look fa- – he's one of these guys that's that goes about four bills that doesn't look like he gets four bills. He is yeah. – he's a big dude. His, his hand was as big as um, poor Dick Bergeron's face. Oh, yeah. Around here we call that cornbread eating people. Yeah. We have the um, 75 – has picked up a big piece of plastic on his front end, and he has to pit. Andy, what was that? It looked to me like one of them industrial like garbage bags, like you'd uh, pick up leaves with or something. Well, maybe it was. Um, actually, you say that. Yeah, it did. It maybe that's what Darlington used as like their trash bags for their um big trash containers around the track, and somehow one didn't got loose and flew, flew onto the track because that was not a normal size bag. It's like he picked up a no. a, a, a body bag somehow around on the track. Well, uh, well back in those days, if you remember, they used to get them 55-gallon uh, drums and put big old trash bags in them. So that's kind of, that's kind of what it looked like to me. Yeah, that's probably what it was. Uh, so he's picked up plastic. He's in the pits. Uh, Harry, 
Harry Gant has closed in to four seconds finally behind Earnhardt. It looks like if anybody could run with Earnhardt during this race, um, it looks like it, it might be Harry Gant. Hey, yeah, and I, I'm so conflicted at this point in the race because Earnhardt has always been my favorite, but Gant was a very close second. Oh, yeah. Harry Gant's everybody's sentimental favorite, even if he's not their favorite. If you don't like Harry Gant, you can get off this show. <laughs> I quit listening right yeah, now. Well, no I, what's your problem? It's almost like hating Santa Claus. Like, my God, what's your what's your deal? Oh, Lord. Um, Buddy Baker's having a good run. This is only his third start of the year, but he's really giving it a good ride. He's, he's around the top five. Uh, Jody Ridley has came into the pits with a loose wheel. Uh, we have Dell Earnhardt lapping Rusty Wallace 106 laps into the race, and Rusty Wallace dominated the last race, and 106 laps into this race, he's a lap down. Yeah, but like that was uh, two different animals. I mean, Earnhardt at this point in the race is just killing it. Yeah, it, it's a, it's not Bristol. Um, and, and like you said last week at Bristol, Wallace had one of those cars. It's almost like you'd call it a wild card car. Some weeks it's going to be really good. Some weeks it's not going to be so good. And that's what, to me, helped make NASCAR so interesting back then. It did Week to week, you didn't know who was going to run up front. And then you had a lot of guys that specialized in a certain type of track. Like they might specialize in a road course or they might specialize on a short track. Or they run one track really well. And now pretty much all the drivers are good on every track. Um or the cars and back then you really had some cars that were better on certain tracks oh and definitely and when you had a driver and car combination like daryl or dale or you know somebody like that that could run at the different tracks that's the ones you had to watch out for the championship oh yeah so somebody that could that was the whole package um and there were a few of them that could that could do it all we have uh 15 cars now on the lead lap and uh, the 26 of Rutman comes into the pits just a little early. They think he might have been a little low on fuel. A couple of laps later, we get the uh, uh, Kyle Petty into the pits, also Ricky Rudd in the pits. Uh, a couple of more laps later, Dale Earnhardt's in the pits. He didn't get all the gas. I've got to say something right here. Okay. Whoever came up with the sponsorship for Kyle Petty's car is a genius. The seven eleven car that I seen that every time I see that car, I'm like, that is marketing brilliance right there. Oh yeah, to run the seven. Well, and the Wood Brothers was always number twenty one, so they actually changed the number to seven because they got that seven eleven sponsorship. Yeah, definitely a good call. Uh, they I actually preferred their paint scheme that they had um, on the earlier car. I think it was the one from eighty five. It was orange. It was like a little more orange and white. It was a better scheme. It had some green in it, but um, yes, definitely a good marketing call for the seven car to be the seven eleven car. We uh, we do have a lot more pit stops. Earnhardt finally does come into the pits, and uh, he left a little early, so he didn't get all the gas in the car. Harry Gant, Daryl Waltrip, Buddy Baker, Benny Parsons—they're all trying to stretch their gas tanks. Uh, Gant. He comes in for two tires and gas in 15 seconds. Uh, they've all pitted now. Earnhardt back to the lead at lap 126. So we come back from commercial. We have Earnhardt in the lead, Gant, Rutman, 
uh, Ricky Rudd, Daryl Waltrip after 130 laps, only 12 cars on the lead lap. We have um, Bobby Allison, Benny Parsons, and uh, Sterling Marlin battling for sixth position. Parsons gets under Allison. He can't make it stick. He finally gets by Allison, and, and Allison had to back off. They they look like they were going to – I don't know. It's two of the guys you think that are patient drivers, but they didn't seem – at times, but they didn't seem to want to give each other an inch right there. Yeah, it was one of them uh, – what kind of conflict was going on here at the time? I mean, did one of them made somebody mad earlier or weeks before or what was going on there? And maybe if we just – as we continue watching the year, it may just be like that. It didn't really become prominent until the 90s for cars not to really race each other for position at times where you'd have a guy like Mark Martin who would just move over and let faster guys go. I, I, the mindset then maybe was just fight tooth and nail no matter what. didn't matter. Not that they're mad. They just they just race hard. We... Um, we were down to eight cars on the lead lap, and uh, Sterling Marlin blows his engine, and we have the caution flag, and then we have another wild series of pit stop. The pace car blends in. Um, we have the leaders in the pits as soon as the pace car hits the track. Jack Root then attempts to explain what happened at Atlanta, and basically, I think... What happened at Atlanta is um, that NASCAR did mess up. If if you if Arute explained that correctly, he basically NASCAR made a boo boo with with Tim Richmond and Cal Yarborough. Oh, definitely, because it was their fault that the pace car come. And this is my understanding of it: the pace car come out actually a lap later than what it was supposed to. They were already in the pits, and then they wouldn't let them back, back past the pace car, even though they were supposed to be on that lap. It was a big goof up. Yeah, so I still I still don't really understand. I just think basically the gist of it is the pace car does whatever the pace car wants to do, and they adjust around it. Um, yeah, that, that's more or less it. We we get the green flag back out after this uh, uh, cleanup, and we're on lap one forty four. Earnhardt, Gant, Rutman, Waltrip. Uh, we also have Rudd, Allison, and Benny Parsons are the only cars on the lead lap. We get the uh, Tim Richmond and uh, Neil Bonnet get between Dale Earnhardt and Darrell Waltrip as they're trying to get their lap back. And uh, a few laps after the restart, Harry Gant bounces off the wall just a little bit. He kind of just grazes it. Doesn't really hurt the car. And uh, then we get our next clip of the race. And a lot of things happen all at once. It up very nicely for you. Darrell going to the high side and also uh, Richard Petty. And uh, it appears as if Buddy is slowing down because several cars got around him. He is to the inside of the racetrack, and it looks terminal. He's in turn number two right now, well down to the inside of the racetrack, and something has gone wrong in Buddy Baker's car. We're going to try and... Terry Labonte's got a problem, too. He's slowing down coming into the pit. We're going to try and take a good, close look inside the cockpit of Buddy Baker's car to see if we can get an indication for what's happening. That's gone behind the wall, the Piedmont Airlines car, and there you can see turning. Whoa, oh, we have track. a problem. Coming off of corner number four, it is Bill Parsons into the inside wall. You can see Phil moving around in there. He appears to be okay. 
not really that uh, severe impact with the wall, but nevertheless, Parsons takes the concrete here off of corner number four to the inside of the track. Such a short span in less than a minute. Here comes the leader coming down to take that yellow flag. He'll maintain that position. In that shorter span, three of the four Oldsmobiles in competition, actually three of the five Oldsmobiles in competition, look like they're going to be going behind the wall. Andy, I would like to think of that as uh, the old's apocalypse. All of a sudden, Buddy Baker drops <laughs> off the pace. Terry Labonte goes off the pace. He goes behind the wall. Baker's out of the race, and it's just like uh, it's like somebody said Oldsmobile, and they hit a button, and they just all disintegrate. Yeah, they all started popping like popcorn. I mean, they, even the camera guy couldn't keep up. They were showing the wrong They were talking about Baker, but they were showing Labonte going back behind the wall. I'm like, on, what happened here? Yeah, and, and this is one of these things that I really want to hammer home, and we'll do it until you get sick of it. When you have these little whiny idiots that wants to complain with you about the races back then, well, there was only like one car on the lead lap, and then, you know, fifth place was three laps down, and how could that be a good race? Well, you little jackass, listen, when you have three or four good cars go out of the race every 30 laps, it's kind of going to happen. They, the cars was not built to last back then. They just had stuff happen. And right there, you have... Terry Labonte, who he was a lap down, but he was running well. Buddy Baker was only one lap down. And they're good cars. And both of them, bam, they're out of the race, and we're not even halfway. And that's not counting Bobby Hillen already out of the race, Jeff Bodine already out of the race, and some of these other guys that's already had problems. Yeah, see, that's the thing I think people forget about is these people did not have multi-million dollar engine shops. They were taking more or less, I mean, not exactly, but more or less stock engines, hand-fitting them to make more powerful engines. And, you know, now you you have everything down to uh, hundreds of a thousandths of an inch tolerances. Then it wasn't like that. So you never knew you might have a bad molding, you might have bad machinery, you might have a tool off just a little bit, and that's going to wreck your whole motor. Yeah. It's just, it was completely different time. And, and that's just one thing that just cannot be overlooked is how much attrition hurts the races back then. If you could only imagine if these guys wouldn't have had all the engine failures and mechanical failures, we think a lot of these races are great anyway, but just imagine having five or six more good cars out on the track, the entire race, and what could have happened? It's it's just back then you knew going into a race, basically every week, you were going to have a third of the field drop out with engine or transmission or, or some kind of an, uh, an issue that was mechanical. Oh, and uh, you got to look at it now. I mean, then they were, I remember there was one section of the race somewhere in there they were talking about how high RPMs they were running. They were running between seven and eight grand. Now it's nothing for them to be able to run one at nine and 10 grand all day long because of the technology. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all technology. Um, so what we have next, uh, we do get an interview with Buddy Baker. Nick Berger. Well, I'm standing with one of our best photographers for the day. Buddy, what happened? Well, I really don't know. The car just quit running like, uh, 
I really don't know what happened, but it just went running. Went running, I guess, seventh, and uh, the car was running good. Uh, not quite as good as Earnhardt, but we're running good. And They're still working on the engine. Are you going to try to go back out and continue the race, buddy? Well, it depends on what it is. I can't really see any point now we're 10 laps behind, but uh, I'd like to say hello to everybody at Crisco. Tell them the car's running good. Sorry it happened that way. And they're changing the carburetor on that automobile right now. And certainly thanks to Buddy for some excellent in-car uh, camera work as he was uh, in there fighting for position all during the race. Now and we get the interview there with uh, Baker, and, and he says, basically, um, you know, it broke, and they ask him about fixing the car, Andy, and he said, I don't know why they are, because we're 10 laps down, and it's not like Buddy's running for points. I think Buddy's just saying, let's let's just get out of here. Yeah, well, Dave's already shot. Why get out there and run more when we don't have to, you know, the heck with it? But this is what I miss about the older days is all the different characters. No, there was no cookie cutter or, you know, driver. They were all different. They had different accents, different ways of talking. I don't know. I just miss it, I guess. Oh, yeah. And Buddy Baker is one of the one of the funniest and best interviews ever in NASCAR. He just had a way um, about him. It was he he. <laughs> He uh, he was he turned into one of the better announcers I thought even though I know some people probably would have a hard time of understanding him he was uh, one of the better characters in NASCAR and like you said you know Benny Parsons was a uh, an announcer slash driver and he's different Daryl Waltrip's this good old Tennessee boy Kentucky boy that lives in Tennessee Dale Earnhardt's you know grew up poor in North Carolina and. A scrapper, Tim Richmond's the Hollywood guy. Jeff Bodine's a Yankee, and none of them look alike. They don't talk alike. They don't sound alike. It, and I know some of the people that um, that listen to our show know we like wrestling, and I think that wrestling has pretty much went the same way. And this ain't a wrestling podcast, but you have all these guys that are they're they're cut and they're lean and they they weigh about two hundred and ten pounds and they can do all the moves. But you need Bruiser Brody, you need Abdullah the Butcher, you need different guys to, to keep things interesting. And back then, you had characters. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if you if anybody, I know this is a little bit off topic, but if you ever get a chance, go on YouTube and look up the Close Calls. It was a special that uh, Benny Parsons, Kel Yarborough, I think DW, and uh, Richard Petty was on. And Kel Yarborough, everybody knows he was pretty short. He was talking about him and Buddy Baker being on the infield somewhere after a wreck looking at the cars, and all of a sudden they hear the cars scrawling tires coming at them. He said, the next thing I know, I hugged him, he hugged me, and we were up on top of a 10-foot bank and ain't got a clue how he got there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's always some really good stories from these guys and uh, definitely interesting characters. Um, we, we get an interview with Terry Labonte, Andy, that lasted approximately uh, two seconds. They literally, if you've ever seen um, uh, Family Guy, the guy when they go to the weather report and he says, it going to rain, that's about what Terry Labonte said. I broke camshaft. <laughs> Back to you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's oh, all the time we got for you. We broke camshaft back uh, to the race. 33 car of Gant is kind of trying to stay with Earnhardt a little bit on this restart. He's not not too far behind, only about a second off the pace. Uh, Benny Parsons hits the wall during commercial, and he has to pit. 
Uh, more laps down. Doug Hevron smokes. He's to the pits. Harry Gant is he's closing in on Earnhardt for the lead just a little bit here. And Earnhardt, he's he's all the way down to the apron trying to lap a car to keep up his momentum because Gant is closing in. And uh, that was one of the probably one of the only moments of the race. Earnhardt had some trepidation there. He he knew that Gant was coming and he was kind of going to be stuck behind the lap car. So he just swung it out there and, and went for the fences. And at Darlington, when you go down there on the apron, you are in the sand. Oh yeah. And he would, uh, any other driver would have probably been in the fences after trying that maneuver, but that man, he, he pulled it off. So we are finally to the uh, halfway point of the race. Thank God. Uh, Dell Earnhardt is, he's about a half second ahead of Gantt. Uh, we have Rick Wilson spinning in turn two. The yellow flag comes out. Uh, this time they slow the 33 and the three way down. They don't immediately pit. Usually you see them just jump into the pits. This time they slow down. They don't pit until later. I still don't get it. I'm there. I'm not going to get it this whole year. So I guess I'll just quit harping on it because I'm not going to understand this. It's almost like Chinese arithmetic. It's not going to happen. Definitely. Uh, we see a clip of Jack Root watching an old man, an old man bounce tires. Um, at this point, I'm thinking of the blonde from the intro for some odd reason. Oh yes. That, that, that was probably the MVP of the show right there at the beginning. Yep. Uh, MVPs one and two are running neck and neck right out of the commercial. Tommy Ellis has wrecked and we learn that, uh, Daryl Waltrip was way off the pace and Benny Parsons has now went to the garage. So the old apocalypse is complete as, as Benny Parsons is now also retiring. Uh, we have Joe Rutman in the pits and a crew member climbs in, in the car and, uh, he jacks Joe's bolts. Andy. I I've often wondered if, uh, it ever, you know, they jump in like that. Cause I seen one of them doing on Petty's car and I'm like, what happens if he takes off and they're still in there? Do they have to ride around for the next couple of laps and come back or it's like Jocko, just kind of slow down? You know, Jocko flock, the monkey uh, riding around in the car is like, well, they got a trunk monkey. Yeah. They have, they have a, uh, they have a real lot. They have a crew. It's like a ride along crew chief. Like the old Indy cars did the sidecar. Just hell get in here. We're going to go. Hang on. Let me show you what it's doing. This is the noise I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, there'd be a lot more noise going on in that car if he took off with that guy in it. It'd probably be like, <laughs> oh yeah, you couldn't hear anything, but you'd it'd be a it'd be an interesting visual. And uh, we go back to green, and we have one of the biggest moments of the race that I almost missed in the notes. Harry Gant and uh, Ricky Rudd they were second and third, and they both crash and wipe out. Uh, Morgan Shepard, he had just got his lap back. He's having engine problems. And uh, thanks to one of our new contributors, Mr. Ermy, we learned that uh, Mark Stahl is the one that caused Gant to crash. And we do get an interview here with Harry Gant. He's not happy, but he's always smiling. Well, that was Harry Gant. I'm with Harry Gant, who was involved in that incident. Harry, what caused the crash? Well, you know, this the slow cars try to run you all the way down the corner. You, and you try to get by them, you know, and they run in so hard that they see you coming, I reckon, they try to get by in front of you. And he go in real hard and slide off about three inches on me, and I couldn't stop, and I was going on by on the outside, but I figured he's going to back on off and hold it down. He moved up a little bit, and I, you know, six inches all, we caught him in the back end, and there we went. I went around, Ricky Rudd got me there. But it's been a problem all day at those slow cars. Uh, 
lap cars, uh, they won't let you go and you drive into the hole. Instead of crack it and let you dive in, they want to run you inside the side or run you up on the outside or run you over the four-turn wall leg. You know, they just don't seem to care today. It's a rough day for them. Now, today the driver's meeting was a little bit different. Everybody got to see the same film that the rookies usually see, including all you veterans. And when it was over, everybody applauded. Didn't anybody learn anything? Everybody done opposite from what that feels. They told them what to do this morning. Everybody's done real bad today. You know, nobody, everybody out there has won the race. Nobody will let you go by, you know, when you're trying to race to win the race. Other cars are just racing to be there. Uh, they want to race the leaders all the time. They don't want to let you go by. Well, Harry Gatt obviously disappointed. He's out of it. But Harry will be back another day, certainly, and in the winner's circle, you can bet on that. We'll be back with more from the Trans South 500 after these messages. Right. Well, Ricky, the car looks pretty well beat up, but you seem okay. Yeah, I'm not too bad of shape. Pulled some neck muscles. Uh, like I say, I'm a lot better shaped than that race car right now. You were running well today, though. Well, we run second and third. Earnhardt was a little bit too tough for us in early goings. We made some adjustments on the car to try to catch up to him. And uh, the adjustments that we made to the car slowed us down. So we ended up going back the way we started. And uh, we started running good, got up to third, was back up to third again right on Harry's back bumper when he got tied up with that uh, last car going into first. Oh, okay, we've got a yellow flag on the speedway. There is a car outside way on the racetrack. And that is Jimmy Means in car number 52 at the uh, in turn number three. Now they're racing back to the yellow, and it appears as if both Neil Bonnet and Bill Elliott will gain their last back. Here they come off of the fourth corner, and... Cross the stripe, and yes, indeed, both Bonnet and Elliott get their laps back. And there we hear from uh, Harry Gant and Ricky Rudd, and uh, Gant, he wasn't happy with the lap car, Andy, at all. Uh, no, definitely not, but uh, if you were just looking at the video, you would have never known it. But, yeah, you could tell he was not happy in the least bit. No. And uh, we also hear from Rudd, he, he wasn't happy either. Um was he ever happy? I don't know if I've ever seen Ricky Rudd happy. I don't know. I think Rudd's just usually stoic. I just think he's one of these guys that's, he's all business. Um, but no, he wasn't happy. And uh, we have Jimmy Means crashing during the Rudd interview. Uh, Bonnet and Elliot both get their lap back uh, because of that. We we do go back to green from this caution and uh there's an interview with Bobby Allison. We're not going to play this one, but he's talking about die guard and how sad he was to see the situation they're in. And then Jack Root just throws some daggers at Bill Gardner <laughs> says, what are you up to? What are you going to do? I mean, th this is one time Andy, where you don't, you don't see that. You don't hear that. The an announcer basically taking a car owner to task on live TV. <laughs> Well, see, this uh, this is the part I did like about Jack Root doing this. Uh, you know, the other stuff, he was, like, second-guessing the drivers. Uh, you know, they got split second to think about what they're doing, yada, yada. But this, he was going after this owner hard. I mean, what kind, you know, what are you doing? What are you up to? What is your plan? Do you have a plan? Yeah. I was like, daggone, they, they let them get by with that? Jeez. And you got to remember that Die Guard Racing was one of the biggest teams in NASCAR, you know, the previous decade. They had Daryl Waltrip. They had Bobby Allison. They had Jeff Bodine. It's not like they had, then they had, uh, you know, they had drivers that could win races and championships. And they go from that to, um, to basically not even being able to field a car 
Yeah, yeah they, they they pretty much make Larry McReynolds. No, not Larry McReynolds. Robert Yates. He quit the sport for a year. He just threw he just threw his tools in his box and went home. And and now they have Willie T. Ribs, and they didn't even try to. I. It doesn't matter what you think about Willie T. Ribs. Um, in hindsight, he may have been a little outspoken, but you have to feel a little bad for him because he's trying to come into this sport, and you he probably thinks that he's coming in with a pretty good team, and it's a team that is just in all kinds of chaos. Yeah, it's kind of like a problem we're having now. You know, you get a scholarship to go play football at Tennessee, and then you realize what shape they're in. Well, they're trying to climb out of it anyway. Uh, Morgan Shepard has crashed, and uh, we we get Jack Root uh, going. Here here's the other side of Jack Root. We'll just we'll just let him say it, and then we'll respond. We have a problem as the car spins and hits the wall. It's Morgan Shepard, and Rutman goes with him to the inside of the track. Lap traffic. What did I say? Exactly the problem. Morgan Shepard, a lap car, spinning to avoid that lap car. The guy that was running in the fourth position. And Joe once Rutman. again, bad luck bites Joe Rutman. Unbelievable. I don't think he's going to lose a lap here, but he probably has damaged that car to the point that it's not going to be competitive as it has been all afternoon. Uh, okay, so that's the other side of the coin right there. Honestly, what does he have against Morgan Shepard? I, I get it that he's a lap car, but he's not one of these guys that's 20 miles an hour off the pace. He basically, I don't know if he maybe had a tire going down or if he just lost it, but either way, it's not like he was way off the pace. He was only a lap down and he spins out and he acts like he slapped his mama across the face at uh, Sunday supper. Oh, it, it, see this, this is where, I guess this is the part where it started to sour with me a little bit. I mean, poor Morgan Shepard, he was keeping up. It wasn't like he had 15 cars piled up behind him. You know, he was actually keeping up and then lost it. I mean, it, it happens. It's racing. I mean, if we'd have had enough green flag racing, everybody would have been a lap down except Dale Earnhardt. So uh, how can you complain about lap traffic when I think, I mean, Morgan Shepard had to be running probably, I don't know, still maybe in the top 10, even though he's a lap down. It's not like he was in the way and uh, he ha- he makes a mistake. And uh, he, I mean, like I said, it's it's almost like he slapped mama in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, like I say, he wasn't racing for 40th or 30th or something like that. He was at least in the top 15, best I remember. And appropriately, Harry Gantz back on the track. He's 33 laps down uh, in car number 33 on the 33rd day at Nimes. Uh Back to green, Waltrip almost crashes from the lead and uh, Dell Earnhardt back to the point. 120 laps to go. We get Earnhardt back to the bumper of Kel Yarbrough, trying to put him a lap down. And Jack Aroot then says that he saw, says that those two racing is going to be like WrestleMania four. Andy, my question is which one of those is the macho man? I, I think the macho man have to be big E and, um, uh, Kel would probably be Hornswoggle. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Kel's not that small. Uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Ray Mysterio, could, I, I, how's I could, that? I could see Earnhardt coming off the top rope in the big macho sunglasses. Uh, something, something I'll not get out of my head tonight. Joe Rutman, he he can't catch a break though. I mean, my God, you, you do have to feel sorry for him. He's had good runs pretty much every race this year, and every race he's been in 
some sort of an accident, and I don't think any of them's been his fault. No, the best I remember, none of them has. He's always been caught up in somebody else's mess. Oh, man. So we have uh, Alan Kowicki in the wall, no yellow. And we were told that he only has one car. They've brought it to every race. He works on the cars himself. Andy, hey, what kind of driving determination? You got a guy from Wisconsin that was an accomplished ASA driver, but he didn't run the, um, he didn't come up through the ranks otherwise. He goes straight to NASCAR and he's an engineer and a geek and i'm sure a lot of people looked at him sideways like dude what are you doing here and he's got one car that's just driving determination yeah and see this goes back to what i was talking about how you have so many different backgrounds and because i know the the old thing was oh they're all from north carolina and they all you know descended from moonshine but no i mean this is the era where you had people coming in from all over the country different backgrounds different ways of doing things a small team like kawiki by himself could keep up to a certain extent with some of the bigger teams and everybody had a chance and that's all you can ask for is a chance oh for sure um we have uh Bobby Allison making an unscheduled pit stop. They changed four tires and it's really slow. I don't know what's going on, but they're having some issues with the, with the pit stop. Uh, Bob Jenkins then calls the race a contest and it really is Andy. It's, it's not, it's, it's not the drivers against each other. It's the drivers against their, their own cars and the track because the battle of attrition is, is real in this race. I was I was waiting for the last three laps to be the pit crew pushing the cars around the track just to see who could win. Good Lord. We have Dale Earnhardt continuing to pace the field. Uh, Richmond has got his car mostly better. He's trying to get a lap back. He's sticking with Earnhardt pretty good. Um, he, Richmond then tries to put it three wide under a lap car to get by Earnhardt, and uh, he's definitely trying to keep the pressure on him. And uh, during all this green flag racing, we get a pretty interesting little interview here with Daryl Waltrip talking about it being a contract year. Has your success with Junior Johnson uh, caused you to give up on the idea of starting and running your own team? Well, we're at a point in our uh, relationship where we have to decide. We have to weigh each other's uh, good points and bad points. This is the end of our contract year, and... Uh, we're starting to talk a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we've had a lot of success, and uh, I enjoy driving this car more than anything I've ever done. And it may be that I'll continue to do that, but then there's also the possibility that I may not. And if I don't, then it's I have to decide what I want to do. Do I want to go out on my own, or do I want to drive for somebody else? And I haven't made that decision yet. So he is still very much uh, up in the air as to what 1987 will bring him. And now in NASCAR, we just have so much news and just in general, I mean, the way our, our world is with the internet and being tied into everything and knowing what happens instantly, it's, um, I'm sure that interview probably raised a lot of eyebrows because Daryl kind of says he wants to stay with junior in a, in a roundabout way, but there's talk that he might start his own team or join another team and, you're talking about the guy that had just won the championship the year before and nobody knows what he's doing the next year. That's kind of unheard of. Well, and another thing I noticed about that and, uh, from everything I've heard about him, junior Johnson 
he wanted to win races. If the championship, okay, whatever. But he wanted to win races. Daryl wanted to win championships. And I just wonder if this wasn't like a, I don't know, like a, not really a fired shot, but a hint as to, you know, hey, Junior, this is what I really, really want. Now, what are you going to do for me? I I think from reading Daryl's book, um, and I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure this is about the time you know, Daryl had converted to being a, a Christian and, and trying to be a better person. And I think that part of the situation here is that he wanted to have a cleaner image and he didn't want to drive for Budweiser. Um, he didn't want to represent a beer sponsor. I, I think that that actually had pretty big um, factored into his decision. Ah, see, I've learned something today I did not know. Well, I mean, it may not have been the the total uh the whole story to it but i I do believe that that probably did have something to do with it because you know we know he winds up in in the rick hendrick car the next year racing for tide and you don't go much cleaner pardon the pun than going from a budweiser sponsored car to a tide sponsored bright orange car it's a completely different image for old daryl in 1987 that is an interesting theory. I, I wonder if anybody's actually looked into that to see if that was the case. We can uh, try to make sure I can try to reference his book and see if that was the case and uh, make sure that we're accurate on that next week. So Joe Rutman is in the pits. His car, basically, it's it's falling apart. They um, He has to come into the garage. They interview him. He, he don't believe in bad luck, but my God, at some point you have to. <laughs> during this interview a meteor falls on joe rutman and he's never heard from again but they try to duct tape the car back together for the next week we're down to two cars on the lead lap uh 309 laps into the race daryl waltrip the only other car on the lead lap besides earnhardt we uh go to earnhardt goes to the pits for his last stop we take a commercial break we're down to 40 laps to go the three car is uh, basically he's dominating the race we have more cars having problems. Tim Richmond has a flat tire. Some of the back markers are off the pace, even worse. Um, Rusty Wallace to the pits. He's got problems. Michael Waltrip in the pits. He's smoking. Bobby Wallwack crashes, and he is on fire. He is yes. climbing he out of his up car like a Chinese to- a balloon. Yeah, he is. He's um, he is on fire, spinning. And he's climbing out of his car before it ever stops. And honestly, uh, if I was on fire, I'd probably be doing the same thing. But he is he is booking butt out of that car. And the bad part is, the only thing I kept thinking about is, please, nobody come like duck down there and run him up over. Because the cars are still coming through wide freaking open. Yeah, I mean, honestly, think about this. We, You know, we didn't have... Uh, they raced back to the line. And this is... It's it's really amazing between all the upper series of NASCAR over the years that we did not have somebody get hit as they were getting out of their car by a car that lost control. It's it really, when you think about how many cautions come out over the years and you had guys climbing out of their cars, how that somebody never got hit, that's amazing. Yeah, because 
Well, like I say, uh, I know I mentioned this earlier, but if you if you go and watch the Close Calls video, it's really informative. And there were times like in the mid-70s where people actually did get hit and luckily just wasn't, you know, bad hits. It was just like run up on a tire or, you know, knocked them out of the way, something like that. So yeah, it's, there, it's probably a good thing. There's a story, um, and I don't, maybe it was from that. I, I don't remember. I just know that there's a story that Dave Marcus tells and, and I don't, if it's in that where, um, he's climbed out of his car and another car slides into him and it hits his legs. And I guess, I don't know if his legs go, you'd have to hear the story, but basically he's, he's laying down at Kel Yarborough's car. He pulls himself over and he said, God, Kel, this is my, or my leg. He couldn't look down cause he thought his legs was gone. He thought his no, legs had been this, chopped off. This is the same. This is the, this is the video, but it's Kel Yarborough that done it. Oh, so Kel Yarborough went to Marcus thinking. Yeah, he was standing there with Dave Marcus, and the car hit him, and luckily the fender had been ripped off, so the tires hit his legs. Yeah, the tire hit his legs. And he numbed them. It's been a couple of years since I heard that story, but I I remember that. Yes, okay, so that's where that's from. Yeah, definitely check that out because there's a lot of good stories in that. And it's not funny, but, I mean, nothing bad happens from it, so it is is kind of funny. Oh, my God, I can't look down or my legs go. (laughs) Get up, damn it, your legs are fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i reckon they they even took him back to the what they had for infield care center and he was still asking are you sure my legs are there because they couldn't feel them oh man so we get the three car in the pits on this caution here for four scuffed tires we have 11 laps to go they wave the green flag daryl waltrip doing everything he can to hang with him but it's just not going to happen uh we get down to a few laps to go and richard petty he was running, I don't know, was he sixth, fifth or sixth? He was, he was running well and, uh, he hits the wall pretty hard on the back stretch and we don't really see what happens, but he's, he's wrecked. Um, he's going to have to limp at home and, uh, we'll let, we do get a, we looks like it may not go green, but we do get the green flag out with two laps to go and we'll let Bob and Jack bring it home throttle and let Earnhardt and his teammate go race for the win. He can't do too much of it because he's got to worry about Bobby Allison appropriating his position. Look at Dale making it a slow start. Now he begins to stand on the gas and pull away. Here we go. The green is going to come out on lap 365. Two laps to go. It's a sprint race. Earnhardt and Waltrip. Bottom trying to hold him off downstairs. See how everybody went to the high side to try and get around. It's Earnhardt trying to chase him down as Walter, but Earnhardt still got an awful lot of muscle, Bob. Bonnet leading Allison for third place. Now Bobby goes inside of Neal on the back stretch. Can he pull off the pass at the end of the back stretch? Yes, Allison takes over third spot. Oh no, the restart move could have cost Bonnet third position. Here they come for the white flag. One more lap to go. Dale Earnhardt is on the lead. come off of corner number four. There is the third place, Bobby Allison. Dale Earnhardt is on the main straightaway and accepts the checkered flag and wins the Trans-South 500. Waltrip finishes second, Bobby Allison third, and Neil Bonnet winds up fourth. Well, fine. This long race has come to an end and a well-deserved victory by Dale Earnhardt. 
And there you have it, Andy. Uh, kind of anticlimactic finish, but a deserving finish. Earnhardt finishes it off. Um, I did think it was interesting because Daryl and Neil never really were best friends as teammates. And I kind of wondered on that restart if, if Bonnet would just shove it in there and, and uh, you know, not care whether Daryl was racing for the win. And Bonnet actually – played nice teammate to the point where he let Bobby Allison get by him. He, uh, he, he, he tried everything he could not to pass Daryl. Oh yeah, definitely. And like I say, you know, them things had to be going through their heads. Cause you know, Neil Bonnet, Earnhardt buddies, yada, yada, yada is, you know, and my teammate going to help me. Cause it's, it's not like it is now where your teammates expected to help you. You were two separate entities. So you never knew what they were going to do. Right. And, um, but Bonnet, he done what he should have done, honestly, and, and tried to let them race it out for the win. But, uh, Earnhardt was just, he was way too much for everybody. Um, and he takes home the win and we'll go to his victory lane interview right now. Dale Earnhardt, let's go to victory lane and Dick Bergeron. Well, Dale, c- congratulations, fired Dale Earnhardt. A new definition of dominating Darlington. You seem to really have it hooked up today. Well, we worked awful good here last year and, uh, came right down to the end in Austin. You know, we, we work awful hard, Rich Childers and all the crew. Uh, I like to thank Good Ranch and Wrangler and all the people that work real hard to put the money behind us to race. And, you know, thank the good Lord and all the crew. They did a super job. You know, old Darlington's a tough place to beat. And, uh, we, we you know, we beat her today. I, you know, I, we uh, outrun everybody, but we beat this racetrack today. It seemed as if you had no problems at all. Were there any problems during the day? I had just a few close calls with uh, slow cars, but other than that, everything went fine. How about your thoughts on that yellow flag changing to a green flag with only two to go? Did that worry you? Did you know you had everybody else covered at that point? Well, I've been so close to the end of uh, so many races this year that three laps is all it took to win or run second. And, uh, you know, I told them on the radio, I said, well, here's that last three laps to spook us again. But uh, we're a little stronger than Daryl, and uh, I just kept her straight and come on home. A second yesterday in the Grand National race, a first today in the Winston Cup race. You must be looking at one of your finest seasons ever. Well, we are. You know, it's been a real good year for us all the way around in both divisions. And uh, Richard and all the crew do a super job. The kids back home, you know, they support me. And my wife, Teresa, we always having a good time this year. And the driver's having a good time, too. Back to you, Bob. All right, and our winner's circle interview has been brought to you by Goodyear Eagles. You either have Goodyear Eagles or you need them. And, and there you have it. Dale Earnhardt wins uh, his first race here in 1986. Uh, it was his most dominating victory ever, Andy. 335 out of 367 laps at Darlington. And uh, what can you say? Just total and utter domination. Yeah, I mean, 32 laps is all that he did not leave throughout the entire thing. And it, it's not like it was Talladega or Daytona, you know, where if you could get out front, you could keep it. No, it's, I don't know. They Nobody had nothing for him. But the part that gets me about the interview of Victor Lane, I, I want everybody to look. Did he burn his eyebrows off or something? Or is it just the way the camera's hitting it? Or I don't know. It just looked weird. I actually didn't notice that. Um, I will. I mean, he he just he just had it that, that day. Sometimes people just hit it, and he hit it. Um, he hit it there in the uh, the Trans South uh, 500. And um, NASCAR wasn't trying to make any political statements at that point. That was um, that was the a bank or something. Oh, uh, good lord! <laughs> <laughs> it, we uh, okay. That caught me off guard. 
<laughs> oh God, we had eleven cautions for fifty. We got to entertain ourselves if the race don't. We had uh, no, eleven yeah. cautions for fifty-four laps, seventeen lead changes. I mean, think of that: seventeen lead changes, and Nernhart led three three thirty-five out of three sixty-seven. There was a lot of people uh, getting the lead when uh, they was having green flag pit stops. Yeah, the only time they could pass him was if he was sitting still. Yeah, I'm pretty I, honestly. If you think about it, I'm not really sure anybody passed him the entire race uh, on the track. Uh, maybe they did. I I would have to go back and look at it, but I'm I'm trying to think. I don't know if I saw anybody pass him. No, the only one that had a prayer was Gant, best I remember. No, oh, yeah, Gant. If he would have stayed in the race, it could have he could have at least maybe made it interesting because he could hang with him at least. So you never know. Uh, Gant was the only one that could have. Our uh, final rundown here, Earnhardt wins. Waltrip, the only other car on the lead lap in second. Bobby Allison, third a lap down. Neil Bonnet, fourth a lap down. Tim Richmond finishes fifth, three laps down. Rusty Wallace and Richard Petty, also three laps down. Bill Elliott in eighth, five laps down. Kyle Petty, six laps down. And Ken Schrader finishes 11th, 10th, 11 laps down. So this is one race where it, it, it was a big attrition race. But at the same time, Earnhardt had such a dominant car. He really did lap a lot more than you'd expect. I mean, that, you know, Bill Elliott, the previous race winner there, when he won the Winston Million, five laps down in eighth. That is a butt kicking. Oh, yeah. And like you say, Bobby Allison, Bonnet, they both had decent cars and he still lapped them. He was just on a different level. It was. We had 22 DNFs in the race in a 40-car field. So over half the field goes out of the race with uh, DNFs, and only a couple of those was due to crashes. Most of it was due to engine failures or transmission or rear end failures, whatever. It wasn't. We had a few guys go out um, from crashes, but more of a more often than not, it was a mechanical issue. Yeah, I mean, even Daryl, he almost went out. They Luckily, they caught it for him. You know, his rear end was leaking, but he, he almost went out with one. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Waltrip almost goes out of the race. Uh, point standings after this race, Waltrip is in the lead with 1,000 points. Earnhardt, second, 48 points behind. Rusty Wallace, minus 115. Terry Labonte, minus 139. Bill Elliott, minus 168. Sixth, Kyle Petty, minus 215. Tim Richard, Tim Richmond, minus 227. Uh, Harry Ganton, eighth, minus 260. Richard Petty, ninth, minus 270. And Bobby Allison, tenth, minus 274. Andy, a question that I have to ask, but um, I know the answer. Uh, driver of the race. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend, the one who would wake up and piss excellence every morning, the man, Dale Earnhardt. Yes, uh, no arguments there. When uh, when a guy leads that much of a race, there's no way that he's not the driver of the race. What was your critical moment of this race? It, the only thing that really gave it any excitement. When after Gant wrecked, that was it. The race was pretty much over. That that wrapped it up right there. Yeah, I, I agree with you again. I think my critical moment of the race is when Gant and Red go out of the race. Now. Uh, Red, Red, he wasn't showing the speed, but he was running third. So it's you take out the other only other two cars that seemingly has any shot in the world at running with Earnhardt and they wreck, uh, which which kind of puts a damper on the whole race. What was your 
most surprising thing about this race? I couldn't get over how many people was going out and to hear them tell it. I mean, I'm sure they found out for sure later on, but the majority of them was the camshaft. And that's, you know, that's not a very common thing to go wrong. Usually, you know, the crank goes bad or a valve, you drop a valve, burn a piston, something like that. But a lot of them were saying that they were breaking their uh, camshaft and that's, that, that was odd. Yeah. Um, yeah. My most surprising thing was also basically the amount of cars that had mechanical problems during this race. It just, it was a war of attrition. Um, Goody's headache award, Andy, who do you give it to this race? It had to be Bonnet because, I mean, he probably still had a headache from last week, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I can't give it to him since he had such a good race. I'll give it to Gant and Rudd uh, since they both crashed out uh, running second and third at the time. Um, race rating, Andy, 0 to 100. Where do you throw this one in? I had to go about 65 on this one. The race itself just wasn't – it. It was all right, and it kept me captivated, but this is the first race we've covered all year that I actually caught myself halfway dozing in between times and have to go back and rewatch. Yeah, it's, this was just a weird race to me, too. I gave it a 74, um, mostly because it was at least interesting watching the cars slide around and and all the... There's just a lot going on, even though Earnhardt dominated the race. You had... So many guys having mechanical problems, and you had this guy in the pits, that guy in the pit. You never, it was, it was you kept, I'm sure it probably kept people on the edge of their seat because you never knew all it would take is Earnhardt to blow up, and then it's a whole new race. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, one little mechanical issue with him, bad pit stop or something like that. And after him, the field was wide open. It could have been any of the next four or five drivers. Oh, yeah. Andy, so were you entertained? What was your entertainment factor this race? Whew. I, I had to go with about a 70 on the entertainment, and the only reason I could go that high is because Earnhardt won. I mean, it it was an all right race, but it just didn't grab me like the ones we've covered so far that, that this year has. Yeah, I go, uh, I went 79. I was maybe a little more entertained. Some of it was because Jack Root was... Um, he didn't care what he said, and then, and then we, we had some interesting sound bites in the race. So I I bumped it up a little bit, uh, 79, for for the entertainment factor. Now, yeah, I'm just kind of curious if we'll see Jack or Root again anymore this year. <laughs> they may root him out of the booth after that race. Uh, so we're going to wrap this one up. Andy, um, any closing thoughts on this race at Darlington? Earnhardt won. I'm happy. Next week, we can do it again. Yeah, next week, we got North Wilkesboro. Um, so, uh, I'm not really sure. I can't remember what all happens in that race. But usually, at a short track, there's going to be a lot of beating and banging and people mad. And hopefully, there'll be some uh, some good good stories to go through here uh, next week at North Wilkesboro. So, always, as always, you can follow us here on this show. Join our Facebook group at Racing Through Time. We will add you there. Um, you can email us anytime at racingthroughtimeproject at gmail.com. On Twitter, follow me at OPR Word and uh, follow On Pit Road for all your motorsports news at On Pit Road. 
So once again, uh, Dale Earnhardt just dominates the Trans South 500. Next week, we move on to North Wilkesboro. And uh, any final thoughts tonight, Andy? No, I just, I'm enjoying doing the podcast and people join our group and give us a holler and let us know what you like, what you don't like. Any tips, if you know something we missed or if you know something that's coming up, let us know and we'll try and get it in there. Oh, yeah, we we did find out that the um, Richmond clip that we talked about when when, um, he's going to talk through a green flag run actually happens at Wilkesboro. I'm not sure if it's this race or the fall race, but uh, somebody in our group definitely keyed us in on that. So thank you for that. And like, like Andy said, if, um, if there's anything you want to, uh, you know, want to share a memory of a, of a race that's special to you or um, something from a past show you want us to correct that maybe we, uh, we got wrong, then uh, definitely let us know and we'll, we'll put it out there on the show. So I think that's about all we can say um, for this race here at Darlington. We'll move on next week to North Wilkesboro. So for Andy Waddell, I'm Ricky Wittenberg, and we've got another Racing Through Time in the books.